You're listening to the P-Town Church Podcast. To learn more about our in-person services or additional sermon content like this, visit palcc.org. That's P-A-L-C-C dot O-R-G. And we're going to talk about stability here today. As Andrew kind of introduced to us, this idea of how God blesses us with this stability. We'll introduce this subject last week. Uh, leading into this uh, study in June about the stability that God has provided uh, for us through Jesus Christ. And I think one of the things that I I struggle with is that people seem to take for granted stability. We just assume we've always had it and that it will always be with us. But we're going to dig into some things next week where... Um, we might be having to consider both from an intellectual standpoint as well as a cultural standpoint whether or not the stability we've known as a country, as a nation, as communities, as, as families might be um, gone in the next generation or two. But today we want to talk about how that happens. And it happens when we take for granted and squander the stability that God has blessed us with. So when we deep dive into Hebrews 6, 4 through 20 today, if you have your Bibles, you make sure you have the verses. They'll be up behind me as well. We're going to follow up on the significant stability Jesus has created in the infrastructure of our lives. Now, we don't, can't take credit for all the infrastructure of our lives. We can take credit for some. But there are a lot of things that we build our lives upon that were given to us by other people, by those who came before us, generations before us. We think about our founding fathers. This last Memorial Day, we thought about those who gave their lives in service to our country so that we could have stability in this great nation of ours. The sacrifice of Jesus has provided us the significant amount of stability we need in order to be productive in the world in every way. He says to us, if you put your faith and your trust in me, I will help you from being ineffective and unproductive in your life. Now, this is just not a a biblical idea or a religious idea, a spiritual idea. It's a very concrete idea, as we will discover. We can be productive intellectually, and this is what we're going to talk about this month. Today we'll talk about being productive intellectually, interactively, in the way that we relate to one another and our families, the fruit that we bear, the way that we help each other. Intergenerationally, we'll talk about the promise of Abraham that all the nations are going to be blessed through him. We'll talk about how that has been realized, and also infinitely we can have this stability that leads, we have stability now in this world that leads us into stability for all eternity. If you have stability here, you'll have stability there. If you have instability here, you'll have instability in the next world. That means whatever the situation, now or forever, we can live in the significant stability that Jesus provides for us. And we should never take that for granted. We should never neglect that. And we must make sure that we don't squander it by neglecting our faith, but that we are successful by producing a useful blessing that benefits others. Because God has sworn by His promise to Abraham that we can bless many generations to come because Jesus is the anchor for our souls, eternally firm and secure. 
In a nutshell, that's what we'll talk about all month long. But it is the promise and hope that gives us stability as part of Christ's kingdom here on this earth. We believe in his promise, so we live that promise out, and it creates stability in our life. And when we are challenged or when we have difficulties, we stand strong. Y'all remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus concluded that sermon with this word picture from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. He says, said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on this rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, when Jesus makes this observation, he is explaining to us in very practical ways that his words, his teachings, can create stability in our lives because we can build then upon what he teaches us our lives, and our house is built on a what? A rock. And that rock is a picture of stability. If we don't, if we forsake his teaching, his word, his sacrifice, the stability that he offers to us, then we're building our house on what? Sand, which is very unstable. And he warns us that when the rain comes, when the troubles of life come, and the streams rise and the winds blow and they beat against our house, if we are not built on the rock, we will fall with a great crash. So it's appropriate as we talk about this on Graduate Sunday for, for Zane, uh, not so much for Donna because she uh, has stability and established things in her life based upon her faith in Christ Jesus, so she'd be a good example or demonstration of what we're talking about here. But if you know someone who's graduating and you have a chance to have some kind of conversation with them, you might want to challenge them to build their house on the rock of Jesus so that they can succeed in every manner of life. Otherwise, they will squander the significant stability and they will fall with a great crash. And it may take them decades to recover from that, if at all. As we learned in May, the sacrifice of Jesus was designed to provide us with significant stability in our lives so that we can live in a state of completeness, maturity, perfection. We used all those words interchangeably. But it is completeness, but it is impossible for us to have been blessed with that stability in which we can have intellectual completeness. To neglect it and fall back into the former patterns and processes, spending our stability on frivolous things and come back to repentance because we're making a mockery of what Christ Jesus has provided for us through his sacrifice. And today we will be reminded of the significant blessings that we cannot afford to waste. I'm reminded of Matthew 6, 25 through 34 where We'll, get, we'll quote this later on where Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life. God's provided the things that you shouldn't worry about so that you can be successful in the things that you need to attend to. And it's just like teens. I know Zane 
Zane has been living with mom and dad all these years, so he's not had to worry about rent or food or anything like that. So he's been given the opportunity to intellectually and personally mature and, and, and thrive. And that's the case for any graduate. As we were growing up, our parents loved us so much that they tried to take away the things that would cause us worry on a daily basis that as an adult you worry about. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What, what kind, how am I going to get a roof over my head? How am I going to be safe? But with us as Christians, we know intellectually and experientially, if we put our faith and trust in God, He takes care of those things so that we can be successful. So the idea here we want to communicate to everyone who hears this is don't squander this stability by spending it on immorality. And this is especially appropriate for young people who are heading off to college or into their own lives where they won't be underneath the, 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 the careful watching eye of mom or dad. And they'll get to make some decisions on their own. And if they're not building those decisions on the words of Christ Jesus... It very well could be that they're setting themselves up for a great crash. That brings us to our verse for today from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. It lays the future out for our grads and for any of us who have squandered our stability. It says, it is impossible. That word is adunatos, which means we, it makes us impotent unable to complete the task. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. That word fallen away means parpeto, par, parpepto, which means you're falling aside, um, you're, you're failing and if we do that, it's impossible to be brought back to repentance, metanoia. It's, it's, in, it's, it's impossible to reverse the damage that's done. To their loss, it continues, they are crucifying. This word crucifying means to re-crucify the Son of God all over again, subjecting Him to public disgrace. And the idea it is, well, you're making a public example. You're proclaiming publicly if you were a Christian and you've lived Christian values, and he's given you stability in your life, and then you choose to the path of immorality, you are saying publicly to the people who are around you that Jesus does not do it for you. You're mocking his sacrifice for you that you once said you adhered to. And this is serious business. That's why it's important for us to examine this from two aspects. We're going to talk about the pattern that Hebrews talks about and also the process that it talks about. Let's first talk about the impossible, irreversible pattern that Hebrews 6 predicts. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Impossible. It makes you impotent when you fall away. Now, these things that it's talking about here, it is impossible for those who have believed in Jesus, repented, confessed, were blessed uh, with the gift of, the, of salvation through baptism, received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
We're disciples of Christ looking forward to their eternal reward. That's what we have enjoyed in Christ. But if we throw that all aside to publicly indulge in the lies of this world, traverse the damage that will be done to us is almost impossible. Statistics suggest that as high as 70% of believers, young people who are believers, 18 to 29, they're Christians when they're growing up, 70% of them will drop out of church and by actions renounce their faith. That was according to a Barnard study just a couple of years ago. So that's why I say it was 64 then. It was moving more towards 70% now. 18 to 29-year-olds, once Christians, those who were disciples of Christ, baptized, believed, had salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, were looking forward to their eternal reward. 70% of them, if the trend continues, will lose sight of church and drop out and renounce their faith by their actions. Now, they may not publicly declare... Can you imagine a, a freshman who goes to college and their parents aren't around to tell them, no, you can't do that, and you know, watch out and warn them, different things like that. You know, can you imagine that a freshman will say, listen, I am not going to renounce my faith in Jesus Christ and indulge in these things that you're doing. I mean, that would kind of be an awkward thing. But in doing those things, they are renouncing Christ in the way that they were brought up if they get involved in the traps of immorality and sin of this world. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 and verse 6 reminds us, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were committed for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible, and on to verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's no coincidence that starting early in public schools now and then more so challenged in universities, young people are told that they should not have faith in God because God doesn't exist. And here are all the proofs of that. Because they have not been prepared by their parents to be able to deal with those things from an apologetic point of view or a logistical point of view, then they just believe and get caught up in that movement of life which takes them away from God. If there's no God, then there's no reason to behave. If there's no God, there's no reason not to indulge in the, the, the wonders of this world. But we need to remember that without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We lose our faith. We're not pleasing him. If we don't believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, we will fall right into that trap that Satan has laid for us. Can some of you remember your high school reunions? Uh, we're, I think, our next high school reunion is number 50. 
And um, it's a few years from now, so I'm not quite that old yet. Heading there. But I can remember the 10-year reunion. Um, and I would encourage you to think about, especially um, uh, Zane as our graduate today, to think about where your friends will be in 10 years from now. Not you, but where your friends will be. What would your prediction be about maybe your best friend or someone that you were close to? Someone that you went to church with or someone that you knew who was a Christian in high school? Do you think that their faith is strong enough to make it 10 years in this world and at their, your 10-year reunion that they will still be enjoying the stability of Christ in their life or will they be in that process already of falling into a great crash? If you can remember back to your 10-year reunion or just remember some of the people that you went to high school with, you can see this pattern plays out. If they don't have faith and they're not very strong and they get involved in the things of this world, their lives are going to be a mess. But those who had strong faith and believed in God and were built on the rock he helps them stand those tests. So if we had a message for our graduates, this is what you need to share with them. Do not squander. And for Zane, I would encourage you just to take this thought. I will be stable. I will not squander what I have been blessed with. That's the impossible, irreversible pattern that Jesus warns us of here through the Hebrew writer. It is impossible to come back when you have fallen away. Now let's talk about the impossible, irreverent process that that creates. The reason is because of the, the, their laws, those who fall away, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Can you imagine that? You might think that if you were there the day that Jesus died, that you wouldn't have been part of that crowd that was spitting on him, mocking him, making fun of him, because he proclaimed that he was the, he was the king of the world, king of the world, king of the universe, that he was the king of kings and lord of lords, and here he is, he's on the cross. You know, now save yourself, they said, mocking him. The picture here is, to their loss, they are re-crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace, making Him a public mockery. Now, it's not saying that Jesus is literally crucified anew because He died once for all. So what happens is those who fall away are publicly mocking the sacrifice of Jesus in their lives. Just as Jesus was mocked by His enemies at the cross. We are saying, I don't need or want your sacrifice to apply to my life. It is like publicly cheating on a spouse when you fall away from Jesus after you've said you're a Christian. Now, I know this is going to be impossible for you to imagine, but it's the best illustration I come up with. But if I brought in a woman today with me to church that you didn't know, and I was holding hands with her and sitting close to her back there in the back while my wife was sitting up here in front. How might you view what? I said, I don't know you. How might you? 
How might you view the mockery of my marriage and my wife? Would you take it? We say, oh, you know, he's just going through a phase. It's okay. He'll get through it. (laughs) Or would you be shocked by that, that mockery of the public commitment that I made to my wife um, over 40 years ago? We do the same when we treat as unholy the sacrifices of Jesus that he made for us. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 10, it says it very clearly, verse 26 through 29. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Because anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished? Listen. Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and who has treated as unholy, that means irreverent, the thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them. And who has insulted the Spirit of grace. God takes this stuff seriously. We might consider this in the context of the 20-year reunion test. <laughs> I remember my 20th reunion as well. Um, or, let's say, I miss uh, Alan, how long have you and Aaron been married? Aaron? No, Aaron's in the back. They've been married how many? 24. So that, that means I missed my 20th because I was doing their wedding on my 20th uh, anniversary or my 20th reunion. So I was kind of gauged on, uh, on how long they've been married. But can you imagine your 20th or your 30th reunion? Did you get back to see some of those people? I think about this in terms of our graduates might be considering in 20 years, will they be leaders or will they be losers? Will they be leading their families, raising kids, still loving the Lord? Are they going to be losers in life, struggling, frustrated? We can avoid all the instability that is created when we take these words serious from Hebrews and from Jesus. We cannot afford to deliberately keep on sinning, mocking God, putting him to public disgrace, trampling underfoot his sacrifice, treating it as irreverent, this blood of covenant that has sanctified us. So graduates, like all of us, we have been given the incredible, significant gift of stability. Some have been squandering it more than others lately. And unlike those in the world, we don't have to worry about life as Christians. We just need to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, and he'll provide everything we need to build our house on the rock of his teachings. And that's where Matthew 6 comes in. Let me read you those verses just as a reminder, verse 25 through 34, which says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear, is it not more... Is, is, Not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What an incredible promise for believers. God is promising to give us the infrastructure in our lives so that we don't have to worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, what we'll wear, where we'll stay. He promises that he will take and provide for us in all those ways. He just encourages us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all these things will be given to us as well. A lot of young people are worried about tomorrow and the next 10 years. It'll be interesting to see there's someone who compiles different messages from valedictorians around the country and they do kind of a, a prospect of, of the, the kind of tone that they presented. And uh, for a number of years, it was always positive and there was always some Green Day song thrown into the message. I can't, what's the name of the song that Green Day always, um, Best Years of Our Lives, is the one, whatever it is. Um, but anyway, uh, the last uh, few years, the tone has changed. It switched downward in which grads are more worried about tomorrow. They don't think about the brightness of their future as much as the corruption of their environment. And their perspective has changed. They don't see the future as brightly or as hopeful as what believers should. So don't squander the significant stability provided by your parents and God and through our founding fathers and through Christ Jesus by spending that blessing that God has given us on frivolity, frivolous things, things that don't matter. Because that's something that is impossible to reverse. And it treats irreverently the incredible sacrifice of Jesus. Now, I'm not just speaking to graduates today. All of us need to hear this message in this time when the world is trying to conform us to its patterns and its processes. But it will be a good opportunity for us to warn those young people around us of the disaster that waits them and squander. I always think about the prodigal son scenario. It's something that Andrew hit on here this morning is that God always welcomes us home. But the prodigal would have never found his way home had he not realized that he had squandered all that he had. The reason we have this lesson in the Bible is to save us from making the same mistake as that son. 
so that we'll remain home. Not like the brother. There's a whole story about the brother. He wasn't happy either. But we need to understand that God loves us. He welcomes us and he wants us to keep us safe and provide stability so that we can thrive in this world. And this is a message that our young people need to hear and that you have the wonderful opportunity and privilege to share. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to recognize your graduates today, Zane and and Donna and also Ethan. We offer a special prayer over them. We pray over Zane today and ask, Lord, that as he realizes his dream working with these big, powerful machines, he's able to contribute to life and find family and grow the family that he's a part of, that you'll bless him. That you'll watch over his heart and mind and as we've talked about these things today, that he'll choose not to squander, but to serve. That he'll build upon the great and wonderful traditions of his family, the blessing of his mom and dad, the stability they've provided for him, the character they've instilled in, that he can thrive. We also pray for Donna today and we're so thankful to be able to celebrate with her and this accomplishment of her receiving her PhD. And I'm just thankful, Lord, that over the years, these last over 20 years, she's continued to educate herself and take advantage of the lessons that can be learned in life that now she wants to help others know how to better educate our children. And I I ask God you bless her in that. Bless her in that endeavor and that work. Bless her family too as they celebrate with her and continue to be supportive of her. And we pray for Jason and Ethan, and I just pray that you bless Ethan in his work that he wants to do. Bless Jason as he encourages him and leads and guides him. We're just thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today, and may we all understand that it's important not to squander the stability we enjoy. We just ask that you would teach us that lesson. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Let God's, all God's people say, amen.